Welcome to episode 38 of 1530. So today we're going to be discussing the French Open. We have the draw that's released, so we'll give kind of a preview to the draw and different matches that we we think are going to be either challenging or, or very fun to watch for the fans, some matches to look forward to. We'll talk about who the favorites are. We will also be discussing some tournaments occurred since we last recorded, so we'll talk about the outcome of the Rome Masters tournament as well as Geneva and Lyon over in France, um, and Switzerland and France respectively, and, and what happened with those matches. Talk about Roger Federer, his only clay match that he was able to play. We'll talk about the numbers behind that match and kind of how he looked as well on the eye test with Federer. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about Nadal in general. He's been kind of our focus. We, we've been talking about our little, uh, as a clay court metrics, kind of talking about how Nadal does every year on average, as far as how many tournaments he wins, how far he goes, and then how that compares to his results at the French Open and that correlation there. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about what we think kind of on the eve of the French Open, how Nadal is looking, whether it's a very strong favorite to favorite, because obviously he's still going to be a favorite no matter what. But as, as compared to years where like 2016, he wasn't winning very, very many matches going into the French. Everyone kind of knew he wasn't doing very well. He was definitely not a strong favorite that year, and that was the year that Djokovic beat him in straight sets in the quarterfinals. So there are years you can kind of get a little bit of a feel, whether it's physical, mental, just not feeling on the clay for some reason. But we'll talk about this. This year does not seem to be that year. I think I think Nadal's in a pretty good spot. But we want to talk about those numbers too. So, Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. We'll go ahead and get started with the stat of the day. Side of the day is 9%. So Dominic Team, he played uh, Cor- or Cameron Nori, and he won 9% of the first serve return points. So pretty abysmal, obviously, for Team or for anybody, really, winning only 9% of first serve points, return points. Um, obviously, Cameron Nori is a lefty. Don't know. His team not practiced against the lefty in a while or, or what was going on, but s- seems to still be struggling both maybe not only just physically, but definitely mentally. He's definitely the Prince of Clay. He's been runner up at the French Open many, many years. You know, these last four or five years, he's been really good. But this year, he's seeming like he's not in a very good spot heading into the French Open. So it'll be interesting to see how far he can go. Can he play himself into form? Or is he going to be upset early on and not, not going to be a factor? So uh, poor Dominic, I guess. But won, won the US Open, having a little bit of a letdown. I think he talked about you know, having no crowds and with the pandemic being an extra difficult year for him. I think we discussed that last episode, but yeah, man, I mean, what are your thoughts on team, right? I mean, Clay's where he does really well. So it's kind of surprising to me, honestly. It is. And I mean, like you said, we, we talked about it a little bit. I think he's struggling with a little bit of a, I don't know if I'd say chronic, but a, a lasting injury. Um, and I think, yeah, he's just, Got that Grand Slam win and just really struggled. So, you know, hopefully you can pull it together. I don't, I don't know that the French Open is the place that it's going to happen. I think there's a lot of competition that's hot at the moment, and it's not team. <laughs> but yep. who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll surprise. You never know. Well, and and to your point too, you know, with the clay, he, you know, entered into this tournament. This was Lyon uh, in France, right? And this was one that's very. Uh, not Zverev, excuse me. Tsitsipas ended up winning over Nori. So Nori made the final, 
played very well, but team won it very straightforward, straight sets in that first round. So just surprised that even with a few extra matches underneath his belt, he couldn't really get the momentum going. So like you're saying, I don't know if I see it happening, but if it is, he's going to have to play into form. That's for sure. So we, uh, we talked about last time Zverev was the, was the conqueror of the Spaniard. He not only conquered Rafael Nadal, but won his second master's title in Madrid. So Zverev did very well beat Nadal in straight sets. But if we go to Rome, this was in the quarterfinals, Nadal returned the favor and beat him in straight sets. So I want to kind of highlight some numbers that were different between the two matches. The big ones really were just, you know, the altitude in Madrid. Zverev was able to be much more effective on his serve. Second serve in Rome really let him down. He only won 40% of his second serve points won. Part of it, obviously, you know, it was more effective in Madrid. He was able to do some more, you know, first strike tennis, able to hit a very effective serve in the next shot to put away. Rome was not the case. And these grinding rallies, serves there have only won 40% of those. And Nadal was able to be very clutch. He saved 90% of his break points. Zverev only saved 50%. So overall, return points won. Nadal won about 44%, and Zverev won 36%. So that, that big differential led to a, a big differential in the score there. Pretty straight set affair, 6-4, 6-3. Total points won 54% for Nadal, 46% for Zverev. Zverev did have some double faults creeping in, but you know 5% double fault compared to his 9% of ace. Still should have been okay to get it done. I think it really just came down to to protecting his second serve. Wasn't able to do that. And Nadal, conversely, was able to really protect his second serve, 78% uh, second serve points won. So, and again, Rome kind of plays closer to Roland Garros than does Madrid. So I feel like this is a better data point for, for Nadal and unfortunately for Zverev here. But uh, Nadal definitely got his revenge there. So just wanted to make note of that. Oh, most definitely. Not, there, that's no reason to sleep on Zverev in the fringe, though. I think uh, um, I think he's got a chance to go really far. The way the draw set up for him, I think he could do well. Absolutely. Especially with, with where he's at in the draw, right? He didn't. He's not going to have to face Nadal or Djokovic on, on even his half of the draw. He can only face them in the final, and I think those are the two that would be most most difficult for him, right? Hmm, certainly. And I did, and in comparing it to Madrid, so actually, Zverev was actually close in the second serve points one. He was closer to 40, 43%, so barely better, but his first serve points one was much, much higher, 82%. Um, Nadal's was a lot lower, though. In Madrid, it was only 50%. So, <clears throat> so maybe on the second serve, Nadal's going to attack no matter what, but the first serve really was the difference there. Much more effective on Madrid. But moving right along, so Novak Djokovic had a really tricky quarterfinal um, against Stefano Tsitsipas. He was actually down a set and a break to Tsitsipas, but the rain kind of came in and saved him, and as rain delays often do, it changed the momentum. So the next day, Djokovic was not able, not only able to recover the break, but he beat him 7-5 in that second set and then turned it around and beat him 7-5 in the third set. So... Unfortunately for Tsitsipas, you know, I'm a big Tsitsipas fan, but you know, he he plays well in these big matches. And this was definitely one of the matches of the year, as well as the Barcelona final with Nadal, a three-set match that he had a match point on. But he too often comes out on the losing end. Poor, poor guy. He's got to figure out a way to win these close matches. 
but he, you know, he's very entertaining. He's got the shot making, but sometimes he, he's just not not being clutch enough to win these close ones. Or dumps an error, you know, he's holding, holding serve, holding serve, and then at the seven five mark, he when it's six five, he dumps serve. So just I don't know if a little bit that is of that is mental or what, but uh, really bummed for for Cici Pass. But we'll we'll run through the numbers here. Djokovic. Uh, notably, his double fault rate was up a little bit more than than I'm used to seeing, about 5.5% double faults. But on the serve, he was pretty rock solid. He had close close to 70% first serve points one to Tsitsipas' 58%. So we expect Tsitsipas to do a little bit better on that on the first serve, the way he's been, clumping, been playing clay consistently. But his second serve was actually better than Djokovic's as far as points one, 47% to 44%. So that's surprising to me. And then breakpoint save, Tsitsipas was very clutch, actually. 74% breakpoint save to 64% for Djokovic. So overall, return points won. Djokovic won a pretty big uh, 46% return points won. That's that's pretty whopping. You're giving Djokovic a lot of looks out of your serve. Tsitsipas won 38% of return points. So not as bad, but not not as good as that 46. That's, that's ridiculous. And then the match time overall, three hours and 16 minutes. So a super long match. Obviously, over two days, but you know this was a battle for Djokovic, and I think it hurt him a little bit going into the final. Super tired, and then he had to turn around and play the semifinal match that same day that he he beat Tsitsipas. So again, Tsitsipas is looking really good on the clay, but how is he doing mentally if he's not able to win these winnable matches against Djokovic, being up a set and a break, having a match point against Nadal in Barcelona? I wonder what that does to his psyche if he did have to face one of these guys in the final. I think it's kind of interesting to consider that. Anything oh, else sure. about uh, Djokovic, Matt? Uh, I think you covered it. I, I think that is something that'll be really interesting to watch. Can he, can he cross that cross that threshold? I remember when he first came on the scene, he beat how many top ten in like one tournament? He just oh yeah cruised through them all, and so he can certainly do it. He just hopefully he channels that. <laughs> Those earlier days than than the final end conclusions that he's had in these last couple of tournaments. But he's right. been in the matches though. He's been there. He's been at the precipice. So I think I think he'll he'll get there. But yeah, I mean, at some point, even being as unlucky as he is, he's got to be winning some of these big matches eventually. Because like I said, he's right there. He's got the game. He can make these top players uncomfortable. He plays such you know powerful tennis. He's really good around the net, but. I, you know, I always go back to that Chorich match. I think it was two years ago where he had match, multiple match points, maybe four or five on his serve, couldn't get it done, and Chorich was able to come back and win like four games in a row, beat him in a tiebreak, and you're just like, boss, like, what what are you doing, you know? Um, and he was up in those service games, like I said, you know, four, up 40 love and can't close out a match, five, you know, five, three type of thing. It's just, it's a little bit shocking, but hopefully that can get better, you know, that he can, have better decision-making, stay mentally tough, and not just think, oh, yeah, I'm way ahead in the game, and then let it go away. But, you know, great, great player. His backhand's really improved. I think sometimes that's where Djokovic can get the better of him a little bit. Um, you know, a little bit a little bit predictable with the cross court, and then sometimes down the line he's a little bit, you know, missing on those balls. But Tsitsipas can beat anybody on a good day. So yeah. see how it goes. And he's he's over there with Dominic, and I know we'll I know we'll get into the French draw, but just as we're talking about these players, I'll bring him up a little bit. He's over there on the other side of the draw too, so he won't face any of those 
big three until the final, right? Right. Yeah, that's so a big deal. That's something to keep in mind. It's a big deal. Um, going on to the other quarterfinal, I guess it's the semifinal in Rome. Nadal faced Riley Opelka, the, the American who was having a great tournament. And Nadal in the semis, you know, this this is thinking, ah, big server, you know, could could have an effect on Nadal. And Nadal won it. It was two two tight sets, excuse me, but the way that he won it, we really got to dive into the numbers because this is pretty fascinating. So, Matt, if you had to guess, where would you guess Nadal percentage of return points won for Nadal, either either in a typical clay court match or a typical any any surface? What would you say it's close to? He's definitely one of the better returners in the game. Just in general? Yeah. Second serve return points one? Or uh, just return points one in general. Just return points one in general? Yeah. Well, I don't know. 40%? Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah 40s. I think it's usually for him in the uh, hard court, it's like lower 40s. But clay, it's like close to 50, high 40s. So nice. Nice guess. On this one against Opelka, he only won 31%. So super low, but what did he do with Opelka? Because Opelka has a huge serve, right? But what did he do to Opelka? He was even more brutal to him. He, you know, the best way they say to beat a big server is to hold your own serve, right? And that's what Nadal did. Opelka only won 23% return points won. So if you look across the numbers, it's really funny to look at him, right? So Opelka's serve, serve numbers for aces are much better, 18% to 9% for Nadal. But you look at first serve points won, they're almost identical. 84%, 84%. Second serve points one. Opelka's pretty good at 52%. Nadal did even better, 57%. Break points saved. You think Opelka, oh, he's saving 71%. That's really good. Nadal saved every break point that he had, 100%. So it's just like, just when you think Opelka has a good chance, Nadal just increases the level on his serve. And it's pretty, pretty spectacular. He's able to win. He, he can win in different ways, right? And we're used to him just grinding the opponents down, winning tons of return points, right, in the in the high 40s, 40 range. He didn't have a lot of looks, but the looks that he had were good. So credit to Nadal. This was only an hour and a half match, but it was it was a battle for him for sure to, to really really dial in his serve and to overcome Opelka and just the couple breaks that he had in each set. So one break he had in each set. So credit to Nadal. Opelka was having a great week, but – King of Clay got it done a different way than he usually did. So, <laughs> yeah, those are stats that'll beat most any player. But like you said, Nadal really <laughs> took it to another level again. Again, right? These guys, I don't know how they get better and better, but they, they're crazy and they do. So, Djokovic uh, made the final against Nadal. So, this was kind of a big one. Uh, Nadal, of course, ended up winning. So, that tied him with Djokovic at 36 Masters titles apiece. So, they both hold the, uh, or guess co-hold the record for the most Masters titles, which is pretty awesome for them. And then that brings Nadal within one for their head-to-head. So I think he's still negative to Djokovic, but they're very, very close. They play again and they'll tie up their head-to-head. So these guys really go at each other. You know, they're really, their whole career, they're very evenly matched. Depends on the surface. Say Djokovic is a favorite on the hardcore, but as Nadal showed on Sunday in Rome that he's, He's the favorite on the clay court. So really interesting match. We'll look at the numbers here. In fact, these numbers are, this maybe should have been the stat of the day. The numbers were very, very identical. You can see there's a few differences that we'll talk about them. Number one, again, Djokovic, a little bit more double faults than I'm used to seeing, right? Just like in the Tsitsipas match, closer to 4%. 
I don't know, is he going for more? Or I don't, I don't know why it's that high. But anyways, um, first serve points one was both, both of them had 65%. For Djokovic ended up very high number. That's very good. Both of them for second serve points one were both below 50. You expect that with two really good returners. They were um, 47% and 46% respectively. So Djokovic had 47 at all 46 and then breakpoint save this is really the one difference maker i can even see on their serve numbers nadal saved 63 percent breakpoints djokovic only saved 50 percent of them so really when you come down to it you look at the return points that they won 41 percent for nadal which again you know we're used to seeing higher 40s but against djokovic that's that's you know he'll definitely take that and then djokovic only one looks like rounding up 40 percent so the difference of one percent in return points one Kind of turned the match. 51% points won for Nadal to 49% for Djokovic. And he won this in about two hours and 49 minutes. So pretty tight match. But one thing we want to say, so Nadal won the first set pretty tightly. Second set, Djokovic won at 6-1 over Nadal. The third set, again, was a tight set. So maybe that's why the numbers look the way they do because Djokovic was so dominant in that second set, which kind of surprised me, to be honest, to see the level the amount of times that he broke Nadal on when Nadal was rolling. So credit to Djokovic for sticking it to him. But I don't know, kind of funny, Matt, how, how, how the numbers sort of mirrored each other there. Yeah. Uh, just again, showing tennis is a game of a few points, right? By the way. Yeah. But the same, again, you look at this stuff, you would never expect there to be a 6-1 set in that match. No. But uh, – Interesting how this how the numbers played out. Yeah, there's no secret with these guys' games, right? They know exactly what they're going to do. They know their tendencies. They know their strengths, mm -hmm. their weaknesses. But even then, it's just crazy how how tightly these guys can play each other, right? Like you said, it comes down to a point here and there, even knowing all those things, right? Knowing Djokovic likes to do X or Y on a certain type of rally. You know, that's why we play the game, because we got to see the result. And these guys can't. They do mix it up. They do evolve. They do get better. But... Yeah, they know each other's games so well. So it's really fascinating to watch them play. It was fun to see different times when Djokovic would try a drop shot or when Nadal would come to net. And you're like, oh, I wonder if the other player knew that was coming or if that's another wrinkle they're trying to add. But hmm. Nadal again shows it, right? He mentally was ready to win that Rome tournament. I think that's really going to help him going into the French. Not that he needed it necessarily, but I think, again, this cements him as a strong favorite at the French this year as opposed to just a favorite. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So we already talked. So that's pretty much what we wanted to cover on Rome and those numbers. Now we're going to kind of quickly go through two of the other smaller tournaments, Lyon and Geneva, where Federer made an appearance. Talk kind of through some of those numbers. And then we really would want to cover the draw and what's what's going on with the French Open draw. So we already kind of mentioned Nori versus team. Won't dwell too much on that one. But, I mean, overall, if you're winning 9% of first server turn points – and 20% of return points overall, you're not going to win that match, right? You had no chance. And you show that total points won, 62% to Nori, only 38 to, to team. <clears throat> no no chance of winning that. So team's really got to go back to the drawing board. Wasn't able to watch that match. So I don't know the eye test on that, but something something's really bad there. Something's really wrong with him. I looked it up, and if you're looking at the raw numbers, he won three of those – what are they? The first serve return points? Yeah. What was the at nine? Yeah. I mean, 
I think I could do better than that. <laughs> I'd still lose the match. Yeah. But I could probably give four return first serve return points. Hopefully. A few lucky shots. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I feel like, yeah, team's gotta get himself straight. Physically something's gotta be wrong there. And, and and like I said, maybe the lefty, maybe he's like, Oh, I haven't played a lefty in a while. Didn't yeah. have a lot of matches under his belt, but something something's not right with him. So definitely don't wanna you can't can't put him as a favorite, but like I said, maybe he can play into form and at least build on it if he has an okay French Open result. Sure. Maybe he can get that first match and get some confidence. Yeah. So let's Is talk. He, he's playing attorney right now, right? Um, I don't know. I, I know the the only one I know that's going on for sure is the Belgrade one, which uh, Djokovic is playing in. Um, but I think there might be one other tournament that's going on. Okay. <laughs> He probably should with all, all the matches that he needs, but <laughs> but let's let's talk CT Pass Nori. So they were in the final. Nori played really good all week. What were you saying, Matt? He's like the person with the third most wins on tour this, this year, right? year. Yeah, this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I know uh, Rublev is up there. I don't know if CT Pass is the other one, but yeah, Nori's Nori's had a really good year. But CT Pass totally demolished him. So I don't know if Nori just had a kind of a bad service day. It looks like he kind of did. He double faulted 10% of the time, had no aces, not the best, which Tsitsipas flipped that, right? 14% of his of his points were aces, only 2% double faults. But you really look at first serve points one, 82% for Tsitsipas. That guy's just so good on that first serve and backing it up. And then 60% on the second serve. And he saved every one of his break points. So you look at those serve numbers, you're like, I don't even care how you return. You know, you're going to win that match probably. <clears throat> and and indeed he did in return. He was even he's even better. He's forty three percent return points one, which I think for him he's usually in those in the in the thirties. So that's a really good day for Pass. Won that pretty easily six three six three. So I think confidence wise that helps him going in. Hopefully that he can beat anybody but maybe <laughs> the top two guys. If he makes the final, it'll be interesting to see. And that would be what his first Grand Slam final. So he's made the semis a few times, but. See if he can make it over the hump and make the final. Another guy that's been super impressive on clay has been Casper Ruud. Super, super good. He's a he's Norwegian. He played Shapopolov in the Geneva final. And this was pretty fun to watch the highlights because both guys were playing super aggressive tennis. You know, huge serves and then huge next, next shot. And even when they would get into rallies, both guys are trying to put it away. So it's really fun to watch. Shapopolov was 11% of aces. Kasparud had 7%. Problem is Shapovalov had 7% double fault. So struggling a little bit, double fault category. Both guys were amazing on holding their first serve or winning that first serve point at 78% and 79% uh, for Rude is 79%. So super good. The difference really is that second serve points one. Rude backed it up much better, 82%, which that seems like a typo. That seems super high. But uh, and then Shapovalov was uh, 58%, which is usually pretty good. Overall, Rude didn't even face a break point, so you can you can tell where this match is going for him. Overall, both guys didn't win hardly any return points. Uh, Shapovalov only twenty percent, a little bit bummer, and then Rude only won thirty-two percent uh, return points. One so overall, though, because of his dominant serve and the chances that he did get, he was able to to break and he won that in straight sets. Granted, it was a very tight straight setter, but uh, he won that nevertheless in about an hour and forty minutes. So. Credit to him. He would be a tricky player to uh, to go up against, especially on the clay. He seems like he's very, 
very much focused on the clay. Shapovalov can play good anywhere. It's good to see him playing well in the clay, but Kasparud is kind of a clay court specialist. So, And then speaking of clay court specialists, so we had Pablo Andahar, and this kind of scared me when I saw this for Federer's draw anyways because Andahar, I think, had come out of the uh, qualifiers. He's a Spaniard. I kind of figured he'd play really well in clay. I think one of his last matches he won 6-0. In one of the sets, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tight one for Federer. And it really was. The funny thing is, is at the eye test, some of the points that I was able to watch, Federer looked really, really good. Actually, movement really well, you know, able to construct some points, have some offense. The problem with Federer in this one actually really came down to he was up 4-2 in the third. So, again, he had to go three sets. And he lost the next four games in a row. So I think he talked about maybe a little bit mental because, you know, he had some doubts going into the match. And then he's like, oh, actually, I'm feeling good, and I'm up 4-2. And then all of a sudden, four games later, and he's he's out of the tournament. But we'll, we'll look at the numbers because I think the numbers also show it was it was pretty tight. Um, both guys did pretty well on aces and a hard 7%. Federer only 4%, but he didn't have any double faults. Uh, Federer was really good on serve, 77% for serve points one. For Clay, I think that's – that's exactly where he wants to be. That's a pretty high number. And then second serve points one at 58%. That's not bad at all. Andahar was a little bit better at 62%. Uh, second serve points one. Overall, Fed only saved 40% of his break points. Andahar saved 50%. So maybe not as clutch in the break point category saving. But overall in the return, this is what really hurt Federer. Both guys were close to 30%. Andahar won 31% of return points. And Federer was right about 30% to return points. So just not winning enough return points to put himself in an opportunity to win win the match, really. And like I said, he, he was up 4-2 in the third. But credit to Andohar, really good clay quarter, really good at coming out there and, and sticking it to Federer. It's the first time they'd ever played each other. So I think that's an, also impressive that Andohar, you know, didn't shy away from the moment. He talked about it after. He's like, I'm going to be telling my kids and grandkids about this one. You know, not only playing Federer, but, but beating him. So that was... In about two hours, Federer lost. And like I said, super close match. Federer won 49% of the total points to 51% for Andahar. And that one really could have gone either way, but obviously Andahar takes that one. So I think there's some positives for Federer despite the loss, you know, especially losing in Switzerland in his home crowd. But, you know, it, it wasn't all bad, honestly. Just Andahar was a little bit better, and, and Federer needed to keep the foot on the gas pedal. So. It'll be interesting to see how his movement improves because really he's he's got to win more return points than that if he wants to, you know, go far in Roland Garros at all, really. So that's what I got on those numbers. Anything, Matt, on, on Federer or or on Kasparud or any of, those, any of these other guys? Uh, no, I, I think you covered it. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out on the French, how Roger's moving and feeling. Absolutely. Time will tell. Absolutely. So what do we got for the for the draw? Any any interesting matches we got coming up? We got, in my opinion, a conspiracy against Rafa. I think the French open uh, coordinators are tired of him winning everything because <laughs> I think he got the worst draw out of everybody. Really? I don't know. Maybe not. You're Rafa. I just, you know, you're you're partisan. <laughs> so he's got in his quarter – the, he opens with Popperin. Popperin, the Australian. No, he's new. Is he Australian? Yeah, he's Australian. Yeah. Yeah, he's Australian. Um, which, uh, uh, okay, maybe not. Maybe not tough. 
But uh, in the third round, he's playing probably either Nori or Sonego, who we just talked about, Nori, who had an off match against uh, Sissipas, but otherwise has had a really good season. Sonego has uh, not been playing too poorly himself, especially on clay. Right. So, I I mean, not the easiest, easiest matchups, right? It would have been better if he'd been in Medvedev's area. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. That wouldn't have been possible because they're two and three, but... Um, no, so it'll be interesting to see. We've got who Djokovic is matched up against um, Tennis Sandgren first round, and then yeah, that'll be a big one. Yeah, it should be a good match. Fed, if he can get, he's playing a qualifier first, and then probably Chilich in the second round. Ooh, if he yeah, can get past Chilich, then it oh. opens up a little bit for him. He's got Fritz in his quarter. He's got. Uh, you know, Baratini, but yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Baratini's up here. It'd be fourth round, I think, for him, and then Djokovic in the quarter. So, yeah, right, right. So that's where you really start running into some. Yeah, but the first couple rounds, right? I think could be doable for him, especially since Chilich isn't very good on clay, or really not good in general. I think no, he's yeah. lost as many matches as he's won on clay this year. So, yeah, definitely doable for him. I think. Yep, yep. What are your thoughts? So my one thought is um, Joke is still playing Belgrade right now. Right. And I, I'm, I, the competition he's playing isn't huge, right? So I'm sure it's not taxing him too much. But everybody else is resting right now. Yeah. And he's still playing, so I, I'm sure it won't really play into his performance. Um, he's a pretty fit dude, but I don't know. It's something to keep in mind. He's still playing tennis right now. Yeah, I was surprised that he just did that as well. I mean, I know it's his home country, but like you're saying, I think usually the top guys, they they choose to practice on the courts in Roland Garros. Hopefully the conditions aren't too different for him. If they are, maybe that'll be interesting. If if Sangren can take advantage, obviously, if he gets right. to the first-round match, I think he'll be okay with conditions. But Sangren's not exactly, not exactly a gimme. I mean, so we'll see what happens there. I want to see Medvedev, right? He's playing Bublik. <laughs> Any match for Medvedev on clay would be a, a huge win, but I don't know. Bublik, that's going to be a tough one for him. I don't necessarily see Medvedev coming through that one. So I would predict him to lose that first one. That, that'd be that'd be one to watch. Bublik is very entertaining. He does underhand, underhanded second serves. I mean, he'll kind of throw the kitchen sink at you. He's got a good variety in his game, so I think, he, I think that'll be a fun match. It'll also be interesting to see how far Opelka goes, right? He had a great roam. Looks like, especially with Medvedev going away in his quarter, he could have it pretty much open up for him to go far. I don't see anyone in there that'd be super tricky for him. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think where else. Yeah, Dimitrov is fun. He's actually pretty good on clay, if as long as he doesn't meet a Nadal or someone like that. His draw doesn't look too bad. I mean, I guess you have Christian Garon who can go far. Um, yeah, it's really the bottom half of the draw, like you're saying, like. We have Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer in the same half. So that's really opening it up. I mean, by default, it's going to be someone someone new winning a Grand Slam, right, in the second half. We don't have Stan Wawrinka in the, in the field. He pulled out with an injury. He's a former champ. So really, it's going to be, it's going to be a new finalist, at least, uh, in the bottom half of the draw, probably. So it'll be interesting to see. I think Ultimate Tennis Stats, Pegs, so they have Nadal as the favorite, which 
Makes sense. Like I said, he should be a very strong favorite coming in. Yeah, 34%. They have Djokovic as the second favorite at 27%. And then the third favorite is all the way down at like 8.5%, and that's Tsitsipas, which is interesting. And then the fourth favorite is Zverev at like 8%. So the Elise Ultimate Tennis stats is really favoring Tsitsipas to make the final in the second half of the draw, and then maybe Zverev next, which, I mean, looking at the draw is totally possible. I mean, it really is wide open, right, when you don't have someone like a Djokovic or a Nadal on this half of the draw. There's team down here, like we said, but I mean, he could lose that first round match to Andahar. Andahar's playing pretty well. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but it'll be an interesting French open. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Some fun matchups. Good tennis. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like Casper Ruud is also in that bottom half of the draw. Zverev. I mean, both of those guys could go super far. Casper Ruud has proven that he can play the clay. Um, still kind of scrolling through here. Sinner, who's who's half of the draw is Sinner on? Is he on Fetters? That's a good question. Sinner plays pretty well too. I don't know. It's gonna be pretty crazy. Though circling back to our uh, our spreadsheet for uh, Nadal's clay court data, so. Usually, Nadal's kind of his pre-Roland Garros score, we say score based on if he won the tournament, if he lost in the quarterfinals, et cetera, et cetera, is a 78%. So what that usually means is that usually means he won, he wins about two and a half tournaments on average of those warmups out of the four tournaments. So he usually wins it over half of them, two and a half. And the standard deviation is about 20%. So putting him at like, what is that, 50, 57% there. So Nadal's score for this year is a 53%. So yeah, it's a full standard deviation below his average. But you can kind of see in recent years, his numbers are dipping a little bit. And those years when he's been in the 50%, he's won it pretty much every time. The only time he didn't was 58% was the score in 2016. And he withdrew in the third round. So I think I misspoke. The one that he lost in the quarters to Djokovic was 2015. And his score was only 33%. So super, super low. That's like two standard deviations below. Again, everyone kind of knew going in, he probably wasn't going to go that far, and he didn't, and unless he played a lot better, which I think he must have been struggling with an injury or something. But that's that's what I'm saying. From here, I, I, if I was a betting person, I would definitely still bet Nadal in the French Open. Right? He pretty much always wins it. I don't see this year, at least from this onset, from – the warm-up tournaments being any different. Granted, he had a slower start. He didn't play as well in Madrid or Monte Carlo, but he won Rome. You know, Barcelona, he was able to to grit out a good match against Tsitsipas. He's looking really good. Um, I'm liking where he's at, especially if you're a Rafa fan. I wouldn't be too worried. The draw, like Matt, like you're saying, Matt, might be a little bit tricky, but, you know, nothing he can't handle, I don't think. You know, Nori might be a little bit tricky. He wouldn't face Djokovic till the semis, though. He doesn't have to face, you know, some of these other guys. Varev's not in his draw or anything. So I think I think he'll be okay. And predictions, I guess. Who, who, who are you thinking, Matt? You going to uh, Dahl? Yeah, you got to stay with Rafa. All right, so who's he facing in this? Is he facing Joke in the semis? Or just, or oh, just... Probably. Yeah, that's what I'm kind Let's of Let's be honest. Yep. I'm going joke semis. The, the question that I have, 
I mean, honestly, if Federer can get past the first round, that'd be that'd be good because I think he needs some matches under his belt. But if he does get past the first round, does you know, I think he can beat Chilich. I think he can beat Fritz. Maybe the problem goes Berrettini. I'm not so sure. But even if he beats Berrettini, he's got to face Djokovic in the quarters, which I wouldn't favor him over Joke, obviously. So it'd be interesting if he even makes the quarters against Joke. That would be kind of a fun one. But I mean, Federer, I think is the only person to have beaten Joke on every surface and every slam. But wouldn't be this year to beat him on on clay, I don't think. But I, I'm not, I guess I wouldn't predict. I'd predict him to lose to Berrettini if I had to. But I think Federer would take that as a win. That you know, a few matches under his belt, more confidence. I, I think that would actually be pretty good for Federer to make the fourth round, round of sixteen. So yeah, right, I think his have, expectations are pretty much yeah very low. <laughs> I, I just hope that he wins the first match. Honestly, is the main thing. But yeah, all right. Who do you got on the second half of the draw map? Who's making the final or, or, or the two semifinals? Who, who do you think is going to make the final? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be boring. I think that um, Pass and probably Zverev are going to make it out of there. Yeah, I can see that. I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. This half is wide open. If somebody decides to just go to town, they could do it. They could go and say they made it to a final. <laughs> right. But I, I just don't know. I mean, that's a roll of the dice at that point. Yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling Tsitsipas in the final as well. However, I think we might get a surprise semifinalist on our other one. I don't know if it's going to be a Casper Rude. I, I think he can be on the opposite side of the draw. Tsitsipas is a little hard to check on this thing, but um, I'm not sure if Opelka can, but I do think he'll go far. Oh, Opelka, Opelka would reach Sissipas in the quarters, I think. The quarters, yeah. So I, I could see that as a quarterfinal matchup. I didn't realize, Matt, Query and Isner are playing in the first round. That's got to be a match people should be watching. That is, yeah. Two huge serves. Two huge servers. That'd be fun. Stevie Johnson uh, and Francis Tiafo, that's another fun man. They're putting Americans. This is a this is a I conspiracy. Know. You want the Americans in the first round? All right, this is funny. Uh, Fuskovic and... Uh, Simone, that's another one I would watch as well. Both those guys are pretty good on most services, and Fuskovic just—he's just so fit. And Simone, you know, with his counter punching, he doesn't miss that often. So there can be some really good rallies there. Casper uh, Rude with against against Pear, which Pear doesn't really win that many matches anymore. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. I don't know with no crowds and stuff has been hard for him, but yeah, man, I think I think I'm going Casper Rude and Tsitsipas in the in the, in the semis. Right on. See how that happens. And Tsitsipas in the final, and then we obviously think he loses to Nadal, but hopefully five-setter would be fun. <laughs> five I'm all for it. I'm here for it. Cool. Well, I think that's mostly what we have. We're just excited, obviously, to watch watch the matches and see, see, see some good entertainment, right? I mean, there it's – French Open last year was it was a lot later in the year. It was still pretty fun, but I think getting back to a normal tennis schedule, even though it's off by a week, is going to be it's going to be pretty great. I'm I'm excited to see Federer back out there again. Best of five, you know, he could come back if he loses first two sets. So uh, I'm just excited for all of it. So lots of good first round matches. Invite you to watch that, and and as always, you know, check on the numbers as well. See if. See if you can predict. It's kind of fun mid-match to kind of look be like, man, this is a tight one. Let's see what the, what, what the numbers are saying. And you kind of see as as you get enough data points to see, oh, it looks like this person is 
doing better as far as trending toward breaking and you can kind of figure it out as you go. But a match, you know, anyone can come back. Anyone, the numbers can change, you know, can be turned on their head as well. So um, as always, visit us at cognitionsphere.com. Our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And please share our podcast with a friend that loves tennis. Um, also take a minute and write a quick review if you're enjoying this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Thanks. And until next time, we will see you on the court. Mm-hmm.